So again, my name is Brett Kapranica. I'm from Summit Woods Baptist Church, and uh, I'm just kind of, I don't know whether to be discouraged that you're here, because you don't want to encourage your leaders or learn how to be a good church member, which are the other two seminars. You just want to learn how to leave your church. So, uh, and I see a couple of pastors here, so I'm a little bewildered. And another challenge I have is I'm seeing too many of my own church members here. So <laughs> if you're from Summit Woods, just raise your hand so that... Uh, I don't know what they're trying to do. So I don't think that's fair. If, if you're a senior pastor, just stand up and look around and see if your folks are here too. <laughs> so, uh, wow. I don't, maybe it's you wanted to keep your seat or you wanted to be closer to lunch. Maybe it's something godly like that. I don't know. But uh, as, as John said, I've, I've had a little bit of experience in, in church ministry. I've been pastoring for about 35 years. So that means I've seen a lot of people leave the church and I wish I could say that I've seen people, most people leave well, but I, I, that's not my testimony. And I don't know what it would be for some of the others of you who have been shepherding churches that you've seen people leave really. Now, I do have some great testimonies, and I, I hope to allude to some of those and speak to some of those today um, and, and talk through it. But uh, I, I've been in this for a little while, and, and, and I get it, you're... You're going to leave your church at some time, right? At some point. We're all going to leave at some point. Uh, I was trying to think through. I think I've left in my life six churches. When I was a young person, the church that our family attended was a very liberal church. It did not preach the gospel at all, and my parents became believers, and they understood the gospel, and they thought, that's a reason to leave the church. And so we we left that church and went to a really great gospel-preaching church where I heard the gospel, where my heart was confronted by the Word, and uh, it was the first time in my life I'd ever heard expository preaching, and, and I was just drawn to it. My heart was open to it, and we changed, and we left that church. Why did we leave that church? Well, my dad was called into pastoral ministry, and so that church sent him to another. So we left that really good church, uh, and then... The, that, and I, I went to another that a church I was baptized at and grew at and, and began to cut my teeth there. Ministerially speaking, the deacons had come around me to, to train me and develop me. The pastor was pouring into my life, and that church sent me off to go be an associate pastor at another church. And it was really difficult to leave that home church. Those are people I had, I just, I loved. They had poured so much into me. And so I went, and for eight years, I was pastoring a church in the Texas Panhandle, and uh, I loved that ministry, and that was a very difficult ministry to leave, but I left that church to actually go to seminary. I couldn't do as much as I wanted to do in expository preaching, and I really needed some further training and the opportunity, so to leave them, it was like leaving my family uh, and still to this day, some of those people who are a part of that church, many of them are in heaven now, but uh, many of them are, are still very dear to my heart. And was at, uh, in Southern California for seminary for a while and uh, was pastoring a church during seminary and, and loved that thriving ministry. And then it came an opportunity for me to join with a couple of other uh, guys that I'd been in seminary with, and we pastored together. So that meant I left a church in North Los Angeles to move east, east of LA to Shepherd. And then that ministry team began to break apart for a variety of reasons. And I found myself having to ask the question, how do I leave this church and leave this church well? And we tried to do that well. It was obvious that our leadership team was coming uh, to an end. And I hope and pray that I'm not, never going to leave a church again, that I'm in the church that uh, maybe the Lord will let me stay into my dying days. Did you hear that, guys? I, I don't want to. I'm not going anywhere. And you, you need to keep me, all right? So, <laughs> so I, I want to talk through just a, a, a few points that I'm, I'm going to, I might rush through this a little bit, not because I don't think this is an important topic. I, I certainly think it is. But I, I would like to get to the end and open up for some questions because I feel like this topic has so many different angles at it that it might be helpful. Now, if and when we do get to questions, uh, 
I can't do therapy here, you understand. So if you ask a question, a scenario is great, but we can't solve every individual issue, so you need to ask a question in such a way that it would help the group and, and not just your own situation. So if you could be mindful of that when we get to questions, because I, I would love to do that and interact together on that, on that subject. But the reality is that few people are going to stay in the same church their whole life. We, we understand that. That's going, there's going to be some change. You're going to leave at some point, and you need to think about why, and you need to think about how you're going to do that, and you need to think about where you're going to go next and what's going to, going to be the, the criteria that you use to find a new church and, and what's motivating that. So I, I want to say at the outset that you may choose to leave a church for good reasons. I think my family pulled us away from a very liberal, non-gospel preaching church, and that was a good reason. Uh, That was a very terrible, from a gospel perspective, terrible environment to be in. So you may leave for good reasons. You might leave for poor reasons. Um, But the reality is that I think you, you can leave your church. You can leave your church. And we, we don't want to create a cultic kind of environment to where if you leave this church, then somehow you have abandoned Christianity, unless you are abandoning Christianity, then we'd want to make that clear too. But you, you can leave your church, uh, and you can go somewhere else, and we need to get to the place where we trust the Lord with that. After 35 years, uh, I'm, I'm not going to say it doesn't hurt when someone leaves. I'm not going to say that I don't feel it personally because I do, but I think today more than ever in my life, I trust and I remind myself, the Lord bought this church with the blood of his son. I have shed no blood like he, he did for the church. He loves the church more than I could ever love the church. And he's sovereign over his people And he's moving people where he wants them. And sometimes, no, all the time, I need to trust him with that. And there have been times when people have left and I've thought, no, Lord, not that one. They seem so critical. Why them? Well, maybe he knows. Maybe he knows what's ahead. And he's, he knows what's best for that individual and our church. And maybe they couldn't weather the storm that we're going to walk through. And he knows that. And so at some point, you have to get to the place where you, you trust the Lord with those who leave. You trust him even when they leave with really poor reasons and bad attitudes and divisive. Can you still trust the Lord with that? And, and it will hurt. I know that. You need to know that. Uh, is there a way to make the, the pain a little less intense? Because it can feel like a personal offense. Have you thought of that? When someone leaves, you felt like, I feel like they're, a piece of me is leaving here. We were close. We interacted together. How much you poured into a person, and they just seemed to walk away so easy and it's painful. Can we trust the Lord with that? Now, there's a lot of perspectives we could address this subject by, and I'm going to narrow it down. And I want to I pursue this topic from the perspective of an average church member who's thinking about or they're choosing to leave their church, the church they're currently a member of, in order to join a church in the same general area. That's what I want to think through. Now, I get it. The Lord may move you in your job to another place. You might retire and you're moving to another part of the country, and that's leaving a church. You want to do that well too. But I want to talk about the ones that likely are more painful, the ones that that agitate us the most, people who are leaving our church, or maybe you're thinking of leaving your church where you are, and you're thinking about another church in the area. You're not moving to another part of the country. You're not, being, you're not in pastoral ministry and you're thinking about going to another part of the country. No, you're, you're thinking about leaving the church you're currently a member of and moving to another one in the area. So I want to address 
you if you're thinking about leaving your present church. And to be honest, I, I don't think that conversation actually has to be very long. Uh, how do you leave your church well? Well, do it carefully, do it prayerfully, do it honestly, be above board, don't be divisive, don't be angry, don't foster bitterness, be thoughtful in your consideration, be biblically informed. I mean, what else do we need to say? Can we just start lunch now? You know, (laughs) I'll try to unpack it a little more, but it doesn't have to be a real difficult conversation or one that's very involved, but maybe we can think through this, how to leave well. So let me begin with just something that is foundational. And I'm going to spend a lot of time on the front side of this and less time on on some of the reasons we leave or how we're thinking through that. But I want to start at the very foundational level. And I'm going to spend some time here because it will flavor the way you choose to leave. So foundationally, I want to talk first about understanding the commitment of church membership. Could we just start there? This is where I wish some people would start when they tell me they're going to leave, is I wish they would understand the commitment of church membership first, and that they would think about who they are as a member and what the church is. This is not like, guys, this is not like, you know, switching some commodity that you buy at the store. This is not like switching your shampoo. Oh, I like this one. It smells better. I like this one because the commercial was good. Oh, I'm older and this one treats older people better. You know, that, that's not what church switching churches is all about. It's not like picking a different commodity because you just simply like it better. Membership is a serious commitment that we need to think through. And I do want to call it that. It's a, it's a commitment. Some refer to it as a covenant that could be a little strong. A lot of times covenants in the Bible, you know, have to end in death. I don't think that's where we're going with this, but uh, <clears throat> I, I, I understand the language of covenant because you're making a relationship agreement. That's what church membership is. You're making this relationship agreement. It's not just where you're, you're going to go and sit. It's people that you're actually going to interact with. You're actually going to live among. So there's a relationship agreement that's there. And I really do believe, and I I want to say this as strongly as I can, that church hopping leads to poor discipleship. You're not going to be a strong disciple if you keep moving from place to place to place. It, It doesn't really view membership rightly. Church hopping doesn't. And we need to think through that. So let me get down to a few basics. Let's understand the commitment of membership. What do we need to understand in the commitment of membership? Well, first, what is the local church? If you want to understand the commitment of membership, you need to understand what a local church is. There's a lot of ways the Bible talks about the local church and pictures and images that the Bible uses to speak of the local church. And there's one particular I want to focus on. You, we'll look at just two passages, one quickly and one a little more in depth. But look at Romans 12 just for a moment because the local church is described as the body of Christ. And you say, well, I thought that meant the, when you talk about the body of Christ, that means the universal church, all who have been Christians. That's the body of Christ. Well, that may be one way you could talk about it. But when the New Testament typically speaks about the body of Christ. It's not talking about the universal church of all Christians everywhere over all time. It's talking about a local church that is the body of Christ. The church in Thessalonica was the body of Christ. The church in Corinth was the body of Christ. In Romans chapter 12, you see the description. (laughs) And if any of you, if you were here last night for the leadership conference, Josh Mills Uh, was responding to this typical idea, well, membership's nowhere in the Bible. He's like, well, yes, it is. It's in Romans 12. I mean, look at verse 4. Just as we have many what? It's right there, right? (laughs) It uses that word. We have many members in one body. All the members do not have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. The Bible speaks of the local church as the body of Christ, and you are vital members, parts of that body. Now, more extensively, I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 12, and I I just want to spend a little bit of time here 
in this text so that we get this clear in our mind. You need to think of your local church as the body of Christ. Your local church is the representation of the character of Jesus Christ to your community. You are showing them who Jesus is through the local church, not just your individual life, but how you interact together as a people. You're showing them who the body of Christ is. And Paul makes that point very clear in 1 Corinthians 12. Look at verse 12. Even as the body, and that is the physical body, your body, is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Now someone's going to stop me right there and say, well, but that's referring to the universal body. You were baptized into the universal body of Christ. And I'm not going to deny that. Can you see the universal body of Christ right now? Yes. You know how? Your local church. The local church is the tangible, the only tangible expression of the universal church. So where you have a local church that's a legitimate, honest local church, you are seeing the body of Christ. It is the expression of it. In fact, when you are baptized, you say, well, this is talking about spirit baptism. This is a dry verse. There's no water here. And I just want to remind you, when Paul uses that word baptize, he doesn't separate spirit from water. He sees them connected together. What is your baptism? It is the demonstration. It is the tangible expression of what happened to you spiritually, right? And what happened to you spiritually? You were placed into the body of Christ. When you are physically baptized, it's not just an individual expression of your faith. It's also a corporate expression that you're in the body. And that's why a local church is baptizing you. You're not doing it on your own. You're not doing it in in a bathtub just by yourself. A local church is doing that because the image and the symbolism is all tied to expressing the body of Christ. Your baptism is a physical expression of your inclusion into the spiritual body of Christ. So that, that's why it's connected to the local church. So when you were saved, you, don't, you really didn't get the option to say, do I want to be a part of the body of Christ or I just want to be an individual Christian? That's not an option. You were made a member of the body. So as Rick was saying here, if you want to choose to be in Christ but you don't want to choose to be a part of the bride... There's something impossible about that. There's something impossible about that. It's fundamentally flawed and wrong and, dare I say, sinful. You need to be a part of the church, a local church, because it is the expression of the body of Christ, and you were baptized into that. You're a member. You are a member. Verse 13 By one spirit, we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. Notice the variety of the makeup there. Being part of the local church is not about similarities, is it? Whether Jew or Greek, slave or free. Can you imagine what the church looked like in the first century? Could you imagine if a slave was saved before his master and matured and grow and began to express his giftedness in preaching and teaching and his master came to faith and the slave was the shepherd of the master? What would church life look like there? How do you work that out during the week? What does sanctification look like? What if you came from one class of society that never interacted with and it was It was looked on by the culture as wrong to interact with another class of the society, and yet you're all in the same church. Well, that's what he's saying. So you don't pick a church because they like what I like. They look like what I look like. They they mimic me. That's not fundamentally what we are. We're the body of Christ, and so there's great variety there. 
You look at verses 14 to 19 and you find that diversity in the body is absolutely necessary. It's not an option. Diversity is necessary. Look at verse 14. The body is not one member. It's many. If the foot says, and when we, see, when we say the body, can we just force ourselves for a moment to say, my local church. The local church, which is the body of Christ, is not one men- member, it's many members. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? Could you stop and think about your local church that way? Not everybody needs to be the primary preaching pastor. Not everyone needs to be doing all the same ministry at all the same time. The Lord, have you ever really thought this through? He has sovereignly brought the people that he has to your local church for very purposeful and specific reasons to accomplish very specific kinds of discipleship among you and sanctification. And he knows what you need better than what we think we need. He knows. And so he's organizing this group. And we should think of it that way. Diversity among us is absolutely critical to actually even have a body. There's purpose in our unity as well. Look at verse 20 to 26. There's a purposefulness in unity. Verse 20, but now there are many members but one body. So there's a lot of diversity, but we're still one body, and there's a purposefulness to that. Verse 21, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Hands could get arrogant, right? Not for long, because they don't know where to go if they don't have an eye. No, the the hand can't say to the to the eye, the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker, again, could we just stop there and think of our local church? The members of our local church which seem to be less significant, less prominent, are what? necessary. Think of your local church that way. They are necessary. Verse 23, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, that is the ones you want to cover up, you want to keep hidden, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, and would you notice who's doing the composing? God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there's no division, but that the members have the same care for one another, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And that's not a should statement. That's a reality statement. When one suffers, whether you think you feel it or not, you are suffering. When one, whether you feel their pain or not, you are suffering if one of your members is suffering. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. There's a purpose to our unity. God is constructing this for divine reasons. No single part can function on its own. Visibility doesn't determine value. True unity is expressed through unified concern for each other. Verses 27 to 31 kind of outline how to flourish as the body. You have to embrace who you are. You are Christ's body. Can I just point that out? 
who's he referring to with the you statement in verse 27? The universal church? Who's he writing to? Corinth. Corinth, you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles. There's a unique role and responsibility apostles have. There's a divine order to some of the roles of responsibility. Apostles were representing Christ in a very unique way. His authority, his word, revealing the truth, revealing the the gospel, as it were. Second prophets, who are also doing a revelatory work of the gospel, the mystery of Christ. Third teachers, who are reiterating that work that the apostles and the prophets have revealed. The teachers reiterate that. And then after that are miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues, etc. So there is... There is a way to flourish by recognizing a divine order. You're expecting there to be differences in the body. You see that. You seek the greater gifts that will benefit the blessing of the whole church. But among all of that, there is a more excellent way to pursue. You see it in verse 31. Desire the greater gifts like prophecy and what edifies the body. Seek that those things would be shown in your midst because they edify everybody. But there's even a more excellent way. And where does he go with the more excellent way in chapter 13? Love, right? So the critical element to how to flourish as the body of Christ is to make sure in all of your serving and all of your interacting, you're actually loving one another. And if you don't know what love means, you read verse beginning in verse 4, and he describes the way we treat each other in the church. Despite what our gifts are, despite what our abilities are, despite how the Lord has put us together, we're patient with each other, we're kind. This is how you live as a church member. That's what verse 4 is all about. Patient, kind, not jealous, does not brag, is not arrogant toward our fellow church members. We don't act unbecomingly. We're not seeking our own. We're not provoked. We don't take into account. This is how we live with each other in the local church. It is the greater way. It is the more excellent way. So I just want to start there. When you're thinking about leaving your church, you first need to have in your mind, who are you? And what is this church? You say, but my church has all these problems. What letter are we reading out of? (laughs) Your church has these problems? All of these? Read through 1 Corinthians again. That's a problematic church. Well, I mean, read through the rest of the New Testament. Which church didn't have massive problems. And he's dealing with all of these churches and their issues, trying to keep these members together, right? So you have to start by seeing your local church as the body of Christ and what that means and how we're to interact with one another. We're the body of Christ. We're to display Christ to one another. Let me give you another uh, description of the church. Let's stay in 1 Corinthians. Let's turn back to chapter 3 for just a moment to a passage that I think sometimes is misunderstood, but we want to see it as clearly as we can. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse 10. According to the grace of God which was given to me, Paul's writing, and in the grace of God that was given to him, he's not referring to saving grace, he's referring to serving grace. How does he serve by God's favor, by God's divine uh, enablement? How does he serve? According to God's grace, which was given to me like a wise master builder. That's one word in the Greek New Testament, architectone. You hear an English word from that. But it doesn't just mean a guy who puts the plans of the, the building together. It's more of like the general contractor and the project manager who's putting it all together. He's, he's, he's laying the foundation of which the whole thing's going to be built on. That's the architectone in the Greek. I was the wise master builder. So he's talking about himself as a church leader and a specific role that he has in building the church. And so I laid a foundation because that was my role as the architectone. I'm a wise master builder. I laid the foundation. And another, another who? Another leader. Because Paul isn't in Corinth at this point. 
Another leader is building on the foundation. So somebody else came into this church and is now building on top of what he has started. And he says in verse 11, no man, and he means a a church leader. No man can lay a foundation other than the one that was laid, which is Christ Jesus. It's already been laid, so you can't come in and put another one in. Now, if any man, verse 12, builds on the foundation with gold, and any man there, again, is another leader, and you could say by extension, these are members who are building into the church, but it's how do you build the church? If any man builds on this foundation, which is Christ, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. So you come in and you start adding to the church and building of the church. Are you actually constructing the church with what will last for eternity? And how do we know it's for eternity? Because what is going to evaluate how you have contributed to building the church? What's going to evaluate that? He says, the day, verse 13, the day will show it. What is that? The day of the Lord. It's a can be a broad term referring to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The day is going to show, the day of God's, of Christ's coming is going to show how you built the church. It's going to be revealed with fire. And so we'll see. Did the gold and the silver and the precious stones withstand the divine fire? Eternal building products? Or did the fire show that the wood and the hay and the straw were just temporal ways you built the church, earthly ways you built the church? And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. And if any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. A lot we could say about that, but I want to get down to the Really, the the point here of verse 16, do you not know, you, Corinth, you, First Baptist, Bible Church, whatever you brand you like, you are a temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you as a church. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. Now, before you leave your church, (laughs) could you read that verse? (laughs) Do you see how serious the Lord takes this? If you want to leave behind a church in ruins, if you want to add disunity, if you want to leave an anger and bitterness, if you want to pull things down and you hope that church just, if any man destroys. Now again, you Corinth, problematic church with all kinds of issues. You could be on the, even the verge, I think Corinth was on the verge of abandoning the gospel. That's a pretty problematic church. But if you add to that and you destroy the church, God will destroy you, and the day is going to show it. You're the temple of God. So could you just back up for a moment before you leave and think, this is the body of Christ with all of its problems. This is the temple of God. The body of Christ represents Jesus to the world. The temple of God is God showing his presence in the world. If you want to know Where the Lord resides, you look at his church. One day, he will be in the midst of all of his people. It won't just be a church. The church won't be just outposts of his presence. His presence will inhabit us all. God will be the temple, right? Revelation 22. But right now, the church is the place that displays the very unique, saving presence of God. Could you please... Think of the church in all of its problems in those ways. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. We, we could go on. We could look at 1 Peter 2 as well. Your living stones. Again, that's temple language likely. Being built up into a dwelling of God. And we're a priesthood within that temple. And our purpose is to lift up 
holy sacrifices to God. That's our purpose. So before you leave, could you remind yourself of who you are in the temple of God and what your purpose is as a priest within that temple and as a living stone? Could you just remind yourself, this is how the Lord sees his church? Because I feel like we, we tend to think, no, nah, the church is just another bottle of shampoo. Not the temple of God. Not the body of Christ. Again, remind yourself, he died for the church. How precious is it to him? So for our purposes in this talk, the implications of this when you think about leaving is, is your membership one that can be described as offering up acceptable worship to Christ? Is that how you're living right now in your church? How is the ministry of the local church a hindrance to your purpose of offering up acceptable worship? Maybe they're preaching a different gospel and they've shifted ministry philosophy and they're walking away from it and you're saying, I just don't know if I can, I may not be the one, the catalyst who can change all that and I might need to leave because I can't offer up acceptable worship here. That might be a reason. How much are your reasons for leaving connected to your purpose as a member of God's temple, a priest in God's temple? Offering what scripture would define as acceptable worship. Now again, I spent a lot of time on that because I, before you leave, if you want to leave well, could you at least think of the church in that way? And it's not just about you and your family. It really is about God and his people. And you're going to impact that. Even if you leave for good reasons. You're going to impact that. You ever thought about what membership in the local church really is? It is a commitment. It is a commitment to live out the Christian life with a particular group of people who have, are being led by specific leaders that God has gifted and chosen and equipped, and you are living out the Christian life with them. That's what membership is. And I, I know we have this conversation, where's membership in the New Testament? And can, I, can we just... Be honest here, if you want to have a debate on formal membership in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, the, the entire Bible assumes it. It talks as if you are a formal member of a church. You don't have to argue for it. Matter of fact, you need to come up with better arguments against formal membership. And I think you're going to be more, you're going to find that more difficult. Who do you live the one another's out with? What leaders do you submit to? I mean, where, where do you go? The church in Thessalonica had a location and a people who were identifiable and accountable and relatable. And you knew that you were a part of that and you were shepherding. You, you can't honor leaders that you're not committed to. So membership is a commitment. So before you leave, remind yourself, I made a commitment to these people to live out the Christian life with them. So... The reality is, if it is a commitment to all of that, and there's much more we could say about it, and this is the temple and it's the body of Christ, the first question you should be asking is, um, which church should I join? You should be thinking carefully about how you join a church. And if we thought more carefully on the front end about the church and what it is, and what it looks like, and what's going on in that church, and we said, okay, I, I see there's, there's problems, there's going to be problems in every church, but I'm going to make a commitment. These are a group of people I'm going to commit. The gospel is right here, and there's a lot of other secondary issues that, that I'm, I'm right on the same page with them, and I'm going to commit to live the gospel out with them. Now, you just made a commitment. You just made a commitment to a group of people to represent Jesus Christ with them. That's a pretty significant thing you've done. So before you leave, think about that. What does church membership entail? Now, let's consider a couple of reasons you might leave. And first, again, just for time's sake, because I do want to get through some questions, let's consider some poor reasons for leaving. Or 
less good reasons for leaving. And you might leave a church for some of these. You might do it, and they might not be the great reasons. And you still leave anyway. It's okay, but, you know, you're going to work with the Lord on that. But here's some poor reasons to leave. Unresolved relationship issues. And I bring that one up first because I find that's one that drives a lot of people. They've offended me. They've offended me many times. I'm not going to stand for this anymore. You know, you know how it works. When you refuse to pursue reconciliation, when somebody doesn't pursue reconciliation with you, your feelings are hurt. I thought this person was a friend. They turned on me. Church doesn't seem to be very friendly. You know that kind of stuff. There's relationship issues. Romans 12, 18 tells us what? As far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. So as far as it depends, you, you can't put it on someone else. No, I'm going to do everything I can. If, if we're not at peace, it won't be because of me. I'm going to do everything I can. Could you say that? Because if you leave because you don't want to reconcile, that's a bad reason to leave. Matter of fact, did you ever think that in God's sovereignty, he might have ordained that this issue has arisen so that you would work it out in a godly way and have a stronger relationship afterward than at the beginning? That, it could be. It might work out that way. It will work out that way. It will happen. So unresolved relationship issues, that's, that's a poor reason to leave. Unmet personal expectations. That's another poor reason. Unmet personal expectations. I'm not being fed. My needs aren't being met. And by the way, who determines needs? That's a good question to ask and answer. Are we talking about biblical needs? My personal desires and expectations have not been fulfilled. Uh, I wasn't visited. I wasn't visited enough. Not enough people called. No one's ever visited me. I struggle making relationships. I'm too introverted. I'm more extroverted than these people. Someone described our church one time as a group of high-functioning introverts. I'm like, hmm, I need to pray about this one for a moment. It might be right. So what do we do with that? It's not Dan, but <laughs> maybe. Uh, can I just promise you something? Your personal expectations will go unmet. Can I just be upfront? They will. So don't just make that the foundation of why you would leave. Uh, you have disagreement with leaders on what I call tertiary issues or third order issues. I disagree with leaders and the decisions they make on issues that are not defining the gospel, that's not what we're talking about, or issues that define the church, that's second order issues, but tertiary, third order issues, things that don't define the church or the gospel. I just don't agree with where the leaders are on those things. You say, well, what would some of those be? Well, the timing of the rapture, and you're like, uh-oh, you just crossed the line. Right, that, I'm talking to you. If you think that's a line, I'm talking to you. If you joined the church knowing those issues, if you joined the church knowing that and made a commitment to live the gospel out, should you leave over a leader's view over the timing of the rapture? I don't think so. I don't think so. Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians on the rapture to people who disagreed on that topic, and he didn't suggest they go find another church. He suggested that they understand and encourage one another over it. So I, I get that that's an issue. There's more to it than that. Four or five points in Calvinism. How you'd find predestination. You say, ooh, now that's getting closer to the gospel. It is. But you can be a Christian and not have a fully formed understanding on this issue. Uh, again, we can open up to some questions on this in a moment, but uh, I, I don't like the decisions that leaders are making. I thought that when they started church discipline here, that was the wrong decision, or they wanted to, to build, or they wanted to tear down a wall in, in the building, and I just disagree with these, these decisions. I'm not sure that I agree with everything that the preacher preached on Sunday. Well, give him a couple of years. He might not have agreed with himself either. Maybe he's growing. 
If, if you keep saying, I don't agree with the elders on, what is that issue? How close to the gospel is that issue? There's the, the issue of leaving that I think is a poor reason is the grass is greener at the other church. The grass is greener. It is greener in the area you're discouraged with at your church. But they're hiding the dead grass in their church from you right now, right? Because they've got patches too. When you elevate personal preferences, it's probably not a good reason to leave, if that's the foundational reason. Musical styles, vaccine convictions, dietary choices, political affinities, and who's got what flag in front of their house. What a divisive culture we're in right now. Schooling convictions, little pet doctrinal nuances, the dreaded length of the sermon reason. That's a dumb one to leave a church up. No, I better stop there now. Be, be careful with that. I think those are poor reasons. And we can talk about more of that later. But what would be some possible reasons that you need to evaluate of why you might possibly leave? Not why you should leave, but why you might possibly leave. Maybe there is an inability to reconcile. There's an inability to reconcile. Do you remember Paul and Barnabas? Acts chapter 15, the end of that chapter. Uh, they disagreed with one another and they parted ways. I don't think they parted fellowship. They, they parted ways. And, and they couldn't see eye to eye. And that might be true and that might be the case. And that might be a possible reason why you would say... We, we have really pursued this, honestly pursued this, and we see it completely different. And I'm not sure that we can continue to serve well together. And it would be best if we served in different places. That might be possible. They're not first-order issues. They're not really even second-order issues. They're not defining the gospel or the church. But we can't really serve well together here. Uh, maybe there's some persistent discontentedness. That might be a good reason to leave. Uh, about 20 years ago, I was visiting with an elder at a church in the Washington, D.C. area, and we were having lunch together, and he said, you know, I've, we've been, been thinking through this new ministry at our church, and we call it the ministry of asking people to leave. And I said, oh, I've not heard of that ministry really before, but... I'm actually interested in it. You know, how do you do this? And he said, well, there are just some folks that we, because of the nature of our church and what's going on here, we don't have a strong, robust student ministry, youth ministry. And, and we, we can't put a lot of resources to that right now. And there are some families who have some teenagers that they think would be helped, and they're just persistently discontent with this issue because the elders aren't ready to just pour a lot of resources into that. And so we think they should go to a church where there is a robust ministry and they, their children could be helped there and they could serve well in that church. And we want to ask them to leave and go do that so that they're not so unhappy here any longer. Or we sing a certain kind of music and people are just persistently discontented over that. Well, maybe, maybe you should go to a place that's gospel preaching and, and you could go to another place and not be so discontent. I, I've had a lot of discontented people, you know, come around uh, ministries that I've been a part of, and when they finally do go and they're happy Christians, maybe it's not a church that has everything in it that I wish it would, but they go there and they're serving the Lord and they're reading the Bible. I'm really happy they're happy, and I'm really happy they're not unhappy in our church anymore. And And I think the Lord is honored by some of that. Were they all great reasons for leaving? No, but they might be possible reasons that they need to leave. Maybe there's been a change in philosophy of ministry. And you see a church that one time was really teaching the word, but they got 
they didn't see the kind of growth and fruit that they wanted to see for their expositional preaching and biblical worship, and they're watching trends that are going on around the country, and they want to adopt this model and this attractional approach, and, and they're changing because they want to see, and they don't want to see their local church just die and dry up, and all of a sudden, they're not doing expositional preaching anymore, and they don't believe in strong biblical doctrine and theology, and they're changing church leadership styles, and you might look at that and say, that's such a change in philosophy of ministry that it's violating things I'm really convicted over biblically, and I don't want to be the cog in this wheel. Might be. Or maybe you changed your philosophy of ministry. Maybe you changed. And your theological convictions, and could you leave in a good way, in a healthy way, that isn't sowing discord in the temple of God there, even though they have all these theological problems? Again, there's tertiary doctrines, third-order doctrines that become secondary doctrines. You can elevate issues of the second coming to a second-degree second issue. I, I have seen that. I, I remember there was a guy that uh, I was starting to preach through the book of Revelation. This was about 20 years ago. And uh, he was 95 years old. He was in our church, 95 years old. Um, wonderful guy. Um, wonderful guy. Um, H.A. Ironside, is that a name you know? Performed his first wedding. Raised in a very, you know, moody church, and moody memorial church, dispensational. But he changed his understanding of eschatology, and he became almost complete preterist. I mean, just changed completely. And uh, he was in our church, and I was starting to preach through it. I, I, matter of fact, I pulled the letter out that he wrote me just the other day. I'm starting to preach through Revelation again. I saved his letter. He wrote me a four-page letter on why I was wrong. And, and he said, I can't stay in this church and listen to you preach this. And I said, oh, I wish you wouldn't do that. You know what? And, and I, he said, why? And I said, well, you're going to die soon. He's like, well, how do you know that? I said, well, because you're 95. <laughs> He says, well, you could die first. I said, that's all possible, but you're going to die soon, and I want to preach your funeral, and I, I'm not sure where you're going to go in town, but he, he just could not sit and listen, so he, he left, and he tried to go to another church, but that church had as a statement in their statement of faith that you had to believe in a premillennial, pre-trib, rapture approach, and he couldn't join that church. They would not allow him to join that church because of that doctrine. They, made, they raised that third order issue to a secondary issue, and they made it where he couldn't be a part. And he did die, and he didn't have a church home, and I didn't get to preach his funeral. And I, was, I wept over that. But you can make those issues that way. I, I think there are people who are doing that today who are elevating third-order issues to places where they shouldn't be. Maybe there's some necessary issues, and there's more I could say on leadership issues and the proximity of the church to your home and things like that. But maybe there's some necessary issues. Definition of the gospel. Someone has changed their definition of the gospel. You know, that's a pretty easy one. If salvation by grace alone and faith alone and Christ alone is not a part of what they believe anymore, well, that's foundational to your very identity as a Christian. So you might need to leave. You might need to leave. That's, that's a necessary issue. You have to walk away from that. They could change their position or they might have certain issues on foundational moral issues. Things that are critical to even being a human being, defining gender, sexuality, marriage, things along those lines. Those will reveal whether or not you can actually participate in that ministry or not. You might have to leave if they change their viewpoint. There could be, you may need to leave, it might be necessary to leave because of secondary doctrinal issues, like baptism. Church believes in believer's baptism. You change your position to infant baptism. Um, we've had people who come and they say, we want to join your church, but we believe that it's necessary and it's right. It would be sinful if we didn't baptize our children as infants. And I would say, yeah, this is probably not the church for you. Why? Because we love the teaching. We love the fellowship. We love the discipleship. Because I, I tell them, because I'm going to try to convince your children 
that they need to be baptized, and I'm going to put myself in an adversarial position with your parenting. And I do not want to do that, personally. I don't want to do that. So I think you should go to a church that embraces your convictions on that issue and just tolerate some of the lesser issues and, and, and live in that. Or change your view and find out that I'm right, right? <laughs> Which I'd be more happy with. So there could be secondary doctrinal issues that you, you choose. Uh, authoritarian leadership. One guy wants to control everything, don't want a plurality, doesn't want accountability. Uh, well, a plurality of elders doesn't, isn't the only thing that defines a church. I think it's a healthy thing, it's a right thing, it's a good thing, it's a biblical thing. I want to pursue that. But you can still be a real church and not have a plurality of elders. But that might be an issue if you see they're never going to go down that direction. You say, you know what, that's a, that's a convictional issue that I think I need to probably be in a different church. But despite what those issues might be, could you at least pursue a God-centered approach when you leave? Well, what would be a God-centered approach? Well, if Hebrews 13, 17 says that elders give account for your soul, before you decide to leave, could you start a conversation with your elders, please? Can I just plead with you? After 35 years of people just deciding to leave and not saying anything, could you please sit down before you decide and say, I'm struggling. I'm just struggling. Can we talk about this? Can we think it through? And could you be open to learning, to growing, run down that road with them before you decide? Talk with your leaders. And when you go into that meeting, seek to understand. Don't, don't go into that meeting trying to make them understand you. Seek to understand where they are on this issue. Maybe you don't know exactly where they are. Maybe you don't know what the long-term goal is. Maybe you're not aware of what the elders are wrestling with. And you might learn something and think, oh, you see this as an issue too. And they're trying to be patient with people and work through things. That could be. Seek to understand. Talk to your leaders before you talk to other members. The leaders have responsibility for your soul. They're going to give an account. Talk to them about these issues before you talk to other members. Talk to those leaders face-to-face, please. Not a text. Not an email. At worst, a phone call. Yes, Sit down with them face-to-face and talk. Be committed to reconcile any offenses. Be committed to reconcile any offenses. Now, if someone comes from a local church in our city to our church, we tell them in the interview process, we are going to call the church you're coming from and talk to the leadership there. And in my 13 years at Summit Woods, I've only seen this work maybe once or twice where I've called that church and the pastor says to me, yes, actually there are some unreconciled things going on here. And I just say, I'm going to stop right there. I don't want to know the details. I don't need to know the details. I'm just going to talk to the people coming in our church and say, your pastor has told me there are some issues that are left on on the table that need to be reconciled. So we're going to stop the membership process until he calls me and tells me you have approached him to try to work this out. Now, maybe he's hard-hearted and whatnot, like you're telling me he is, but I want to see that you've pursued reconciliation with him. Or, or with whoever. And, and I've seen that work. And a pastor did call me back and said, you know what? They did that. They did talk to me. They did pursue other people in our church. And we met together as pastors and talk about, talked about their, their coming in. And I just noticed we're out of time. No questions, right? So just talk to them. And when you leave that church... Would you pray for those leaders and commit that you're not going to hurl invectives at them and talk poorly about them? Just when you decided to leave and you leave, leave the church. Leave it well. And when members say, why are you leaving? 
you're going to have to weigh whether or not that's a conversation you should have with them or not. Can they handle that? Are they mature enough to handle that conversation? Or maybe, you know, you just say, you know, there's some personal convictions that I have and I've sat down with the leaders and I've worked through this and, and we have we really discerned this together. It's best. But I would encourage you, if you've got any issues, you talk with them. So I apologize. I wanted to spend some time in Q&A, but you can maybe we can talk during the break or one of the breaks. Or you can email Dave here at Flint Hills Bible Church and he would be happy to work out all of your, uh, your questions. And just remember who the church is and treat it appropriately. Remember what God thinks about the church before you leave it. If you could do that before you even join it, I think it would help. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time. We pray that it yields some fruit among us that would be helpful as we think through what it can be a very volatile and personal issue. And Lord, we, we want to honor you. We want to honor your people. We want to live with them well. We want to see the gospel flourish and not hindered by our approach. So Lord, if, if there's a need for people to leave a church, help them to think through that very carefully and critically so that they honor you. I'm grateful for the men who are here and what they're committed to. And I pray that you'd give them wisdom and discernment in the days ahead as they make critical decisions, as they have great conversations with other Christians who are thinking through these issues. And we pray that you would help them in Christ's name. Amen.